You're listening to Governance 360, a link group podcast hosted by me, Lindsay Dowd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next Link podcast. The subject for today is the AGM season and the trends that we have seen this season in terms of corporate governance. I'm delighted to welcome our speaker for today, who is David Chase Lopes. He's Managing Director of DF King, our stakeholder engagement service provider at Link. David is recognised as a pioneer in harnessing corporate governance to accomplish financial goals, and he is hot off the press having just spoken at our AHEAD event. This, this is our programme of events for corporate pre- governance professionals, um, and David has just spoken this morning on this very subject. So welcome, David. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, it was, uh, it was uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and it was a very interesting event this morning uh, to talk about uh, the AGM season for 2020. Uh, not just in terms of the basics that a lot of the audience understood, but sort of try to think about it as well in a context of how corporations are selling their corporate governance story or presenting that story in a context where there's a great deal of change around ESG and also around uh, the prevalence of shareholder activism. And so we organized a roundtable with uh, a series of guests who are experts in this field. So we had... Andrew Ninian, who is the Director of Stewardship and Corporate Governance from the Investment Association. We had Matt Christensen, who's the Global Head of Responsible Investment at AXA Investor Management. Uh, and we also had Darren Novak, who's the Head of Activism and an Executive Director at UBS's in, UBS Investment Bank. Um, essentially, what we're seeing generally about um, the last year was that um, remuneration, while it remains very much a concern and there's a great deal of focus around the quantum, more and more of investors want to understand the dynamics and the structure and the policy around the remuneration structures, whether it be around pensions, whether it be around perks, whether it be around the performance targets. Uh, Another key theme is the prevalence of making sure that investors support your resolutions with at least 80% support and, um, If it's less, how vital it is for board of directors to explain how it reacted, why they think they got that result, that they're attentive to the interests of minority investors. In addition, there's a great deal of scrutiny around a board's ability to manage what we would call systemic risk. And one of the ways that investors look at systemic risk is trying to understand board composition. And there's a massively important drive towards not only gender diversity, but also making sure that today's board is in line with today's strategy and where that strategy is going to take the company and that the individuals that comprise that board have the gravitas experience and expertise to actually challenge management about their strategy so that the the resolutions are really kind of like a a toolbox that the company needs to use to help the board oversee uh, the running of the company and the work of the the CEO. The other thing that we saw in 2019 was that effective shareholder engagement isn't enough. You need to start to talk about and engage with stakeholders. So that can be your employees, that can be the the community in which you do business, that can be your clients, that can be the world or the greater the greater community. And in addition to that, little by little, um, we're seeing 
more of a political activist approach to some situations, um, whether it be around climate change or other social or environmental issues that kind of can bring themselves into the AGM arena. Um, in terms of 2020, um, we see sort of the acceleration of what we saw in 2019. Um, we really believe that while shareholders, shareholders remain the basic ingredient of, of, of the relationship with investors and the company, it is moving towards a stakeholder uh, structure with an evolution uh, that we see not only in the UK, but we see it in France. We see it from groups like uh, the Conference Board in the United States or even BlackRock and, and, and Larry Fink's letter about purpose at the beginning of this year. Um, we also noticed that uh, a number of local national corporate governance codes were implemented this past year, and they all tend to move towards a more international best practice that's sort of harmonized across jurisdictions that is really making us think that it's a moment of convergence between global best practices and local norms. In addition, we think that the cause of this sort of convergence is more driven by large index funds, passive investors, and sovereign wealth funds, and the general dependency of most investors on third-party proxy advisory firms for their voting. So it's sort of more one-size-fits-all. Well, it's a lot more nuanced than that, but that's kind of how it plays out. And then ESG is going to become more and more important. And we talked a lot in the, meet, in the, in the conversation today about how that fits into the AGM. And then the other final trend that's vital for companies to bear in mind for 2020 is that activism is really commonplace now. And activists are seen as uh, able to implement change. And one of the best ways to defend a company is to have really strong corporate governance capital. Thank you very much, David. That's a really helpful summary of okay, what you've great. seen last year and what you're expecting to see well, uh, take forward into 2020. Um, you covered a number of, of themes there, and I think it would be helpful probably if we just drill down into a few Let's of those do it. Uh, now. I think from my take on that, the, there's a lot of the overall feeling I'm, I'm getting is that there really is a lot more... Um, a lot more accountability now about the way that policies are set and what companies are expected to comply with. I think there's a lot more accountability, transparency. Um, so with that in mind, um, are you seeing any patterns around things that companies are doing well or what improvement sure. can be um, met? I think generally most companies understand that they need to engage with their investors about corporate governance and not wait to the last minute. Uh, depending on the country, depending on the availability of the different board members, we probably see that six to nine months earlier, they're telling their story. The ones that are very good at it are ones who can connect the board's ability to manage what we call systemic risk, i.e. the things that could make the company collapse, um, and where the company is in its short to medium term strategy. And how they can connect these two parts to what the resolutions are going to be for the next year and how they're kind of a toolbox instead of the main focus on their corporate governance conversation around the AGM. Um, things where sometimes people have a harder time are realizing that understanding why an individual is paid what they're paid as a corporate officer is getting harder if they're not fully transparent and not just sort of say, well, this is 
the fixed remuneration, the salary. This is the short-term remuner- variable remuneration, the bonus. This is the long-term variable remuneration, i.e. the, the stock option plan in the day or the phantom shares or the, you know, the performance shares. But how the board felt that this structure was appropriate. What were the measures? How did they decide it? Are they willing as part of the policy to publish the targets? And once the year has gone on and the results are in, are they willing to say, well, this is where the individual landed for real in relation to these targets? So that's a big idea. Mm -hmm. The other thing is getting um, better communication about um, board re-elections and how companies are grappling with the harder parts about that, getting the right people, um, working through gender diversity and how you accelerate that and how you find appropriate people for that role and what the process is and that it might take time and telling that story and how they're going to get there and explaining their progress. Um, So those are some of the things that that we see. I think in general, um, it's always about common sense. It's defending the convictions around your corporate governance and doing it regularly, creating a corporate governance capital, not just I need to talk to the governance department of investor X because we've got a problem. Now, most groups today are far more advanced than that, but, you know, uh, that's that's sort of the things that we see. Thank you. And you touched there on um, really just sort of ensuring that shareholders appreciate that they are getting a return for their investment. Um, I think that's a very hot topic now. And could you share some thoughts on yes, how companies happily. are looking to strike yeah, the right yeah. balance? Sure. So a lot of the challenge that companies have from, say, an AGM perspective around that that challenge, which is really about alignment. And where that plays out at an AGM is around remuneration. So are the rewards that you're proposing for the decision makers at the company in line with the expected returns or the the expectations of the investment of their investors? And a lot of the challenge for the company is telling that story and listening to what the expectations are. Now, those expectations be a lot, a lot of different places. They can be just about quantum. It's going to be more and more hard to explain why someone should make a tremendous amount more than, say, the average worker. Now, that's a new idea, relatively speaking, last three or four years, and that's going to accelerate. The more and more situation where that individual is so special that they should make $200 million is going to be harder than it was in the past. It's perhaps taking um, the examples that have been set in the U.S. actually on that. Yes, and and, and Mm. also in other countries. Mm. There's sort of been a movement to sort of say there has to be maybe a ceiling in what is socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very different than the agent principle that one has known for you know, since Adam Smith in the, in the, in the, in the mm-hmm. 18th century. Um, and we've seen an acceleration, uh, if you think of the, the, the business roundtable, uh, came out in August with a new purpose, which was not about um, shareholder primacy. It was about essentially how is the company doing good for its community and the wider picture. So driving things around pay isn't really going to be as useful as it once was and maybe be very counterproductive. Um, So that's a big point. And the other thing around um, 
alignment is explaining why that individual should be earning what that individual is going to earn and that it makes sense in relation to the return and are the mechanisms that oblige that individual to live with the risk afterwards. Are there clawbacks? Are they getting paid all at once or is it spread out over time? And what is the liberty that the remuneration committee might have once the year has gone out and it's and it's time to to confirm what the LTIP is going to be. Do they have room to maneuver or is it very much set in stone in their remuneration policy and they can't move around? So a lot of things like that. But a general, if an individual, if a board believes that an individual is worth a certain amount, they have to defend it vigorously with conviction in a way that all their stakeholders, investors can at least understand it. They might not agree, but that it's a told clear story. And I think certainly in corporate governance and uh, long-term incentive plans, we really are seeing a tightening up there, aren't we, with um, no longer box ticking being acceptable in terms of malice, clawback, and also the introduction of holding periods um, Indeed, and, and so it's a very interesting subject because not every country has a standard that is, you know, today one might say that it's a three-year plan plus a two-year hold, and then if all the targets hit, you get to use your money. We are now hearing certain investors saying, well, maybe you're in the chemicals sector, and that sector isn't five years. It might be 15, so we'd like to know that. We've had sovereign wealth funds say um, we would prefer that there are no criteria, but this individual has to hold this investment through his life or her life, Mm -hmm. and how does that play out? And one of the basic points about that conversation as a sort of starting point is that the investors have to understand the mechanisms and how they work and be able to make a judgment about them. Uh, it's, we're very much far away from, trust me, we got this, you know, you have to really demonstrate that they can understand it and it has to be transparent. And they have to see, okay, if that individual is going to make that kind of money, I need this kind of return. And if it isn't, they can't get that. And they can't get away with poor performance. You know, it's, yeah. it still gets back to, you know, no pay for failure. Yeah. But it's become a far more developed and precise and sophisticated experience around that. You mentioned earlier, and I'm thinking again in terms of actually um, reassuring shareholders uh, that that, that policies are in line with good governance. You mentioned several times earlier um, experiences that companies have had this last AGM season of of activism and different types of activism. And I wondered if we could explore that a little bit more, perhaps if you could... um, Tell us a bit more about the different types of activism which we've seen and and also perhaps some best practices which could help companies uh, in in those Um, circumstances. So effectively there's the historic shareholder activist which would be um, an event-driven fund or clearly an activist. So they've often been from the United States but are also here. So the Children's Fund is an activist. Knight Vink is an activist. So is Elliot. Sevian in the Nordics is an activist. Siam in France is one as well. Um, And they're looking for a very specific strategic play that they see opening up, that they think they can exploit, that could create or unlock shareholder value, either in a very short term or medium term. You also see, to a certain degree, um, civil society. So that would be either an ONG like Greenpeace or it might be uh, different communities who might have a, a say on things like um, handguns. Okay, 
And then what we would call active investing is how long only the axes of this world, the avivas of this world, um, the fidelities, would say how over time, as an active investor who votes, uh, who has very clear policies, who is looking at ESG as part of my investment strategy and the quality of the company's ESG, can affect change over time in a meaningful way and have an ability to engage with a company that has sort of checks and balances and sort of can sort of, you know, carrots and sticks. Um, in terms of defending oneself, obviously um, an activist investor is looking at sort of two basic areas. There's a valuation story. So is the company underperforming what it should be doing? And is there a governance weakness that could be exploited? So those are basic things. Um, in the conversation, all three panelists had a lot to say about activism and how it fits into to an AGM. Um, and a lot of it comes to this concept of telling your story. There may be a lot of things about your corporate governance that make sense, but you're not telling. And if you were to, were to speak on it, it would make a lot more sense. But because the company hasn't talked about how um, the three divisions work together or what their strategy is in a certain geography or why this board actually is functioning well and why they are in line with their strategy right now, um, the inability to tell that story creates opportunities that can be exploited. Um, the activists will have a lens when they look at you. They'll be looking at the valuation, what's causing that valuation. Um, and usually companies should have a sense of why their valuation is where it is, and they need to tell the story around that. They need to sort of also be very much aware of the weaknesses or why not everything is fantastic and how they address it. Um, also, um, activists will look for a dislocation event. Um, so being able to identify those early uh, that you know, you know out there could cause a disruption and maybe you would love to be able to solve it, but you haven't had time yet, that you can be at least have an ability to address it if it were to come up or if it were to bring up that, well, actually, we, this is what we would do and this is what we're going to do. Um, so those are things. I mean, we've worked with a lot of groups, uh, both here uh, in, in France and, and in other jurisdictions this past year on defense work. Um, and usually an activist is going to see an issue that has legs. It isn't out there as a whim. It may be something that's an easy win, something that's complicated, that takes three years to, 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 to germinate, will not work. But the idea that everybody's been thinking about for the last three years and no one has put the time and energy into, and they go out and say, we think you should do this. And we think that doing this will create this much shareholder value all of a sudden has traction. And, and companies need to make sure that they are thinking about it. And what the, where the AGM helps is if you're telling your corporate governance story over time and you're listening and explaining how the board works in relation to the strategy and why the resolutions you're asking shareholder support for and to be vigorous support will lead to uh, accomplishing the strategic goals and you're asking investors their feedback, what do they want, 
helping them understand how the board takes the hard decisions. That gives them comfort that the board ultimately is working for all their investors and that they understand systemic risk. So these things are really important that most companies, if you got them to focus on these subjects, have a story to tell. And if they tell the story early, often, and have it evolve over time, they should get the support they're looking for and have a direct dialogue with their investors on the key issues. And what we try to encourage companies to do is develop their own corporate governance capital. And when one thinks about ESG and how things could move on around that subject, maybe one day the quality of your corporate governance will become a goodwill asset. Thank you. That's 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 very helpful. So I think what I what I was hearing there is that from a company's perspective, it's absolutely crucial to have continued and ongoing dialogue and yeah. engagement with your shareholders. And is that something that you work regularly? with Yes, clients? we do. Um, so every country does it differently. Um, but if you were to ask most of a company's investors, they want ongoing dialogue. They don't want it two weeks before your AGM. They'd love it six months before, maybe nine months. Maybe there is a conversation with a lead independent director over the summer about how things work at the board, what they're focused on, are there executive sessions, is there going to be an ESG committee, how are they thinking about remuneration, where are they in succession planning, how does this board correspond to the strategy of the group, um, you know, if you're a bank and cybersecurity is really important, how many experts on the board are in, a, in an age bracket that understands it and also have been trained up on that subject? Um, I think that's really important. Also, um, over time, going and explaining and seeking feedback before you present the resolutions about, well, this is what we want to do. And one of the things where I think in the UK it could be stronger there's a focus on REM, and remuneration is really important. But if you were to ask BlackRock if they really want to just talk to you about remuneration, there probably is, no, I understand remuneration. I know how it works. But I'd love to understand how you got to your, your level. I'd love to understand how the board thinks about this subject and how they think about all the other subjects and why, why this all fits together. And this is what we would like to see in 2020. And we'd love to know what the board is going to do about our, our position. So we try to help companies tell their story and really upstream and try to get them comfortable with the audience you're going to talk to knows what a capital increase is. They know what a remuneration policy is. They know how people are elected to the board. What they don't understand is how your board deals with the tough questions. They don't understand whether the board that's in place is the right one to challenge the executive to make sure that the strategy that they're buying into actually gets accomplished. It's a lot more than just, is that person worth that much money? It's much more, okay, where is this company today and where will it go? And if you were to look at it wider around ESG, around corporate purpose, um, all right, where are you today? How are you going to be contributing in the future? Where around sustainable um, ideas around you know the UN and 2015 and their their sustainable development goals, or whether it be one of the, you know different issues? Give us two that really matter to you, and how you're tracking, and how you're building that out, and how you're going to be contributing to the bigger picture. 
Because what we're noticing more and more is that in the battle for talent, the younger generations are far more in tune to want to work for a company that's addressing these subjects. They're not waiting for the state to decide. They're not waiting for other people to save the planet. Um, so it is evolving. And if a company is telling the story over time to the right people, not just the PMs, but to actually the corporate governance teams, not just to the proxy advisory community, but saying, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing. This is how our governance works. This is why it's important to you. This is why it fits the bigger picture. We need your support. We need your feedback. It's much more holistic and much more beneficial for the investors who can say, all right, I understand the risks. I understand how they work. I know how they take decisions. And also for the company to say, they know me. I've built this reputation with them. The relationship is there. If we really had an, a really tough problem around an activist, around a situation, an unforeseen event, they know us. And they know how we make decisions. And they're probably able to define whether or not the people in charge today are the best uh, to solve tomorrow's problem and address the challenges of the day. Thank you. So really just in conclusion, David, when you're talking to your clients and you're moving towards mm. the 2020 AGM season, if you had to pick three tips for those clients, what would they be? The first one is tell your story with conviction about your corporate governance. The second one would be listen early enough to understand what's driving the concerns of your leading investors and be able to get feedback from your board if they're not on the calls. And lastly is um, defend with conviction the resolutions you present to investors in a way that they can understand them and it makes sense and be willing to debate and fight for what you think is in the interest of all your investors. Thank you very much. That was a very insightful discussion. Okay, thank you, Lindsay, David. Thank you. And, it's um, always a pleasure to talk about these subjects. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast description for more information on this episode's guests and presenters. And if you want to get in touch with any of us, we'd love to hear from you.